Here are the highlights from the latest episode of Free Talk Live. Visit freetalklive.com for the full episode. In the studio tonight, it's Ian. And Aria. And joining us remotely, it's Mark. Let's go first to David in Georgia. David, you're on Free Talk Live. Go ahead. Good evening, everybody. I'll make this quick. Um, First of all, you guys were mentioning yesterday about YouTube, and YouTube takes 30% of Super Chats when you get a Super Chat. Wow. So So, Aria was correct that if someone is going to donate, going through a uh, Patreon, for instance, or some other more direct method is much preferred because the the people who would benefit are going to uh, benefit more. Absolutely. Just send the Monero. <laughs> yeah, well, it course. sort of amazes me. I mean, back when I did gaming streams all the time, I did have a little you know, QR code up there that people could send multiple, that people could scam, scan in order to send me cryptocurrency, right? Mm-hmm. It amazes me that with YouTube taking 30% of the cuts and other huge cuts of revenue from various sources on YouTube ads and things like that, that more content creators aren't just slapping a QR code up there in the top right corner that... You know, it could easily be scanned by anyone watching it, and just like that, it brings up a Bitcoin wallet or whatever. I think a lot of them do have Patreons. I think when when YouTube several but Patreon years takes ago, a huge cut too. Eleven yeah, percent is better than thirty. But when yeah. uh, when YouTube started cracking down on channels, remember, like maybe five years ago, they started demonetizing people and people who had sort of thrown all their eggs into one basket and were just living off of YouTube revenue were shocked. They were shocked because they figured that was, you know, the gravy train was going to go on forever. And then all of a sudden it started drying up. That's when a lot of them started getting these alternatives like a PayPal or one of these other sort of uh, accounts. But David, what else did you want to share about it? I know that there is actually a Monero plugin. So like you can actually do like a super chat thing through Monero where you donate the Monero and then you, your little message shows up as the uh, in the stream. And the, the other part was that you guys mentioned that Bitcoin.com had dropped their sponsorship after like a decade or something like that. Yes. And yeah. I was thinking you might want to take a look into the Monero.com slash take wallet. Um, I actually talked on Reddit with the person in charge of that, and he said he'd be quite interested. So I gave him the link to your advertising page and the mark uh, the marked email address. So okay. maybe he might be getting in contact with you guys. That's cool. all I had to say. We love Monero here at Free Talk Live. Thank you. I, I would love to be able to use Monero again, I but know, man. unfortunately, <laughs> hey. Aria, you and I are prohibited by uh, bail conditions. But I can still love it. You know. Yes, but you can uh, email that contact information to me at marketfreetalklive.com. I want to follow up on that. Thank you. Sure. Okay. Thanks, David. Anything else you want to share? No, that's it. Thank Appreciate you. Appreciate it, man. All right. So, Mark, uh, any comments since we, we are just sort of rehashing briefly this sort of advertising discussion that we had last night? I don't know if you happen to catch it. Um, it. It lasted for mostly the first two hours of the show. Uh, do you think it makes it sound so boring when you're like, we're discussing advertising. But I mean, we were discussing so many things. Yeah, we were talking about television revenues uh, going down, television viewership going down, people of a younger viewpoint just not responding to advertising in the same way, doing everything they can to avoid it. Uh, is the old model dying? Is it already dead? Well, um, there's a there's a book written, and I think it was in the late '90s, called uh, um, you know where they move my cheese or mm-hmm. who moved my yeah, cheese. who moved my cheese? Yeah, you know, somebody moved the cheese, something like that. And um, it's just sort of looking at how business changes over time, and business is changing dramatically. Today's a big big day in the history of Bitcoin, of course. 
You mentioned in the fall, it was, I believe, Halloween is the date on which the Bitcoin white paper was released. But the day on which the first block was mined, when the software actually went into effect, is apparently January 3rd, 2009, which was 14 years ago. So Pretty happy soon birthday. Bitcoin's going to be 18 and libertarians won't be interested in it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> happy birthday, Bitcoin. Uh, Bitcoin.com from news.bitcoin.com has a story about it. They say that it was 14 years ago that Satoshi Nakamoto launched the Bitcoin network and Block Zero at approximately 1.15 Eastern uh, in the afternoon on a Saturday. Satoshi's technology allowed, quote, online payments to be sent directly from one party to another without going through a financial institution, unquote. Since Bitcoin was born, it changed the financial system significantly and has sparked an entire cryptocurrency economy worth more than 800 billion in value and i would point out it tr- it peaked at over 2 trillion uh, a year ago i just can't imagine if satoshi nakamoto expected bitcoin to be this successful on on that day 14 years ago no, how when, could she or he when, just that? on their laptop they were like you know i've got this idea i put it forward i'm uh, now i'm just going to i'm going to start it i'm going to mine this block and see where it goes and 14 years later yeah. this is where we're at just amazing the trajectory that bitcoin has been on not from a value standpoint Mm -hmm. or financial value standpoint but a utility standpoint and how it's grown to serve the needs of so much of the world's community yeah it is thanks satoshi yeah absolutely whoever you are satoshi out there and whether or not satoshi is still breathing we we have no idea satoshi of course disappeared from the scene in 2011 that that person who's in prison in Bolivia or Venezuela or some, mm-hmm. whatever South American country that is, that's been one of the more compelling ideas I've seen for who could be Satoshi Nakamoto. There are a lot of interesting theories out there. Um, so far, we still have no real proof of any of it. No, and I wouldn't. Yeah, I would never also, expect to. I like Hal Finney. Um, he was certainly involved very early on, and he also died. Mm-hmm. So um, wrapped up. Nice. Yeah, he was he was one of the people that was definitely confirmed early on involved. It was uh, Craig Wright, who's the fake Satoshi, the guy that has been claiming publicly to be Satoshi for years and has never proven anything to prove that he's actually Satoshi. But he was around in the early days, along with this Hal Finney guy. And uh, yeah, there have been a lot of people that have said Hal kind of meets the profile. But again, he passed away from some sort of medical issues several years back. Well, realistically, anyone who was involved in Bitcoin, you know, 14 years ago or even 13 years ago will fit the profile of someone who could have been Satoshi Nakamoto because the only people who were into it in 2000, whatever it was, 2008, 2009, would have been people who were encryption experts and programming experts and just IT experts in general. Yeah, and a good chance that those people were a little on the older side. There's been, uh, for, for decades, this cypherpunk movement of people who kind of value anonymity. They value, in many cases, anarchism, uh, getting out from underneath the government's system of money. And Satoshi's Bitcoin was sort of the culmination or the uh, the apex, at least so far. Maybe you could argue Monero was uh, you know, next in, in line for that. But Satoshi's was such an important development financially. I don't think we've even really started to realize how important it is. Block Zero is special because there are no ancestral blocks before it. And it was hard-coded into the software 
so it would have an official starting point and every node can validate the blockchain from the very beginning. Because it's hard-coded, the Coinbase reward of 50 Bitcoin stored within the first block can never be spent. The 50 Bitcoin is stored in the Bitcoin address, and then they give it, and during the last 14 years, the address has seen a number of dust transactions sent to the wallet. That means at the time of the writing, the Bitcoin address has now 68.56 Bitcoin. So people have been donating Bitcoin to the uh, the Genesis block address over time. I did not know that. I sort of understand. I, I, I understand and I don't understand why someone would do this. Guys, Satoshi Nakamoto has plenty of Bitcoin. Well, plus you, he can never spend it anyway. It's locked. Right. Can, so it's is, essentially it's a way to Is that true of the burn. entire wallet or just the initial 50 Bitcoin? Just the first 50 Bitcoin. Okay, but the other 18 point whatever that's been donated Ooh, could I be don't spent. Know. I don't know. That's a good question. What, Mark? Maybe it's just like a wishing well. Um, oh. you know, why do people uh, throw money into wishing wells? Mm. But they do. That's a really good point. I, I like that. That's the Bitcoin wishing well. Yeah. All right. So another well-known fact about Block Zero is the message that Satoshi Nakamoto encoded in the Coinbase parameter. The special field can Did be used say to... hello world. No, uh, it was actually an attack on the banking system. I'll, I'll share it with you here in a moment. The uh, special field can be used to include an arbitrary message in the block. Now, of course, most people would never see these things, but because it's the zero block, obviously a lot of people have looked here. And the message said, quote, the times, 03 January 2009. So the date. Chancellor on the brink of second bailout for banks. So it brings you back to what was going on in the world, especially in the United States and the UK at that time during the uh, the big you know semi recession or whatever you want to call it. The housing market, of course, crashing uh, at that time, and the U.S. and apparently the UK government uh, rolling in with taxpayer money by turn on the printing press. For the bailout of, uh, you remember GM, I think, got one. And, of course, the big banks got one for all their mortgages they were underwater on. But notably, Ford was the only American car company that did not get one. They turned it down, didn't they? I think so. And I, I don't remember they just weren't offered one. I just remember making a mental note at the time yeah. of just being impressed that even though they could have gotten one, Ford declined it. And that's impressive to me. The message has been interpreted in a myriad of ways, but mostly as a reference to the financial crisis and bank bailouts of 2008. Seems to be just a statement of fact, right? Like, this is what's happening today. Right. Well, now, some would would say that this was part of Satoshi's reason for creating Bitcoin. And I would agree. Right? To take the power of uh, money out of the hands of the banks and the governments of the world and to put it into the hands of the individual, this great decentralization of the money supply. They do say that it changed everything because it introduced the first working solution to the Byzantine generals problem. Well, sort of. And and, and I, I dispute the idea that Bitcoin actually contributed anything on this particular. No, Bitcoin contributed a lot. Don't get me wrong. However... The very existence of 51% attacks, the continued existence of 51% attacks, although they're prohibitively expensive on the Bitcoin blockchain, that's because of the value of Bitcoin and so on, it doesn't actually do anything to solve that particular problem. 51% attacks still exist. If you have 51% of people who are bad actors, it will still destroy the entire plan. Bitcoin didn't fix that problem. It just made it prohibitively expensive. So I don't know enough about what the Byzantine general's problem is. I wouldn't be able to explain it in the full way that it's set up, but it's got something to do like you're in ancient time, ancient Rome, ancient Byzantium, you're attacking a city. All your plan requires 
some percentage of your generals to either take a certain action at the same time or to not take an action at the certain time. If some of them are bad actors and they don't comply, it derails the entire plan. So okay. you need to come up with a way for a I've got fault it tolerance, I've essentially. I've got it here. According to uh, Medium.com, imagine divisions of a Byzantine army attacking a completely encircled city. To proceed, the generals of each division who are dispersed around the city's periphery must agree on a battle plan. However, while some generals want to attack, others may want to retreat. In the official description of the Byzantine general's problem, uh, which, uh, let's see, there's a leader-follower setup. In order to achieve consensus, the commanding general and every lieutenant must agree on the same decision. The conditions are described as follows. The commanding general must send an order to his... N-1 lieutenant generals such that, one, all loyal lieutenants obey the same order, and two, if the commanding general is loyal, then every loyal lieutenant obeys the order he sends. It gets really confusing, and the the problem here is, uh, the reason it gets confusing is because any one of those lieutenants could be a spy operating for the enemy city, and if they give one of those generals bad information, the entire plan fails. To complicate matters, the generals are so far apart from each other that the messengers are required in order for the generals to communicate. Also, one or more lieutenants may be a traitor intending to sabotage the situation. So given these conditions and the commander-lieutenant setup, can the army execute a strategy? The solution to the problem relies on an algorithm that can guarantee that, one, all loyal lieutenants decide upon the same plan of action, and two, the small number of traitors cannot cause the loyal lieutenants to adopt a bad plan. So the, lo- the 51% would be the disloyal lieutenants causing the, the blockchain to adopt the wrong plan. But the odds that that can happen are very, very, very Right, low. it's prohibitively right. expensive. It's not going to happen, that, that's for sure. But it's because, and this is why Bitcoin initially imposed the, the block size limit of one megabyte, and then ultimately I think it got increased a little bit with that in segment, and it all gets very, very complicated. However, the gist of it is that Satoshi Nakamoto knew this problem wasn't solved and that the Bitcoin blockchain needed some level of protection in order to prevent it to safeguard it against 51% attacks. There are probably people within the Federal Reserve system who own Bitcoin, right? Like there's probably some people that have seen the value of this or at least have predicted that it may go up in value and they have purchased it on their own personal recognition and they don't want to see that fail, right? Like they may still indeed believe in the the Federal Reserve and the government and the CBDC, the central bank digital currency or all of that. But on the back end, uh, they probably don't tell their buddies that they've got themselves their own little Bitcoin collection. They don't want well, to we know see that it go some, down. Uh, that that's true because some people have left the Federal Reserve and come over to our side and started working within the Bitcoin world. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as sort of regulator helps helpers and um, interfaces and that kind of thing. So I think you're right. I think Bitcoin's here to stay, but I'm just trying to come up with the only system I think that could bring it down at this point. Well, according to Crypto51.app, this is a website that lists uh, allegedly. I mean, I presume it's it's accurate. Uh, lists the current hash rate, which is the amount of uh, computing power that is being directed towards mining a specific uh, proof-of-work cryptocurrency. I, I can't imagine what it is at this point. I mean, I'm... Well, it's down okay. uh, from what it was. I'm but, still like two years uh, behind on this, right? But yeah. it's going to at least... I, I would I would guess 70 terahash. Uh, oh, no, 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 no. Oh, the, it's going to be the P1 now. Peta, Peta yeah, hash. 
261,951 petahashes. What that means, I don't know. But it does translate it into what they believe it would cost in dollars in order to attack the network for one hour of time. Because in order to you know do this 51% attack, you have to dominate the network for you know as long yep. as you possibly can. And it's $691,972, so just under $700,000 for one hour of a 51% attack against the Bitcoin uh, But it needs network. much more than one hour. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Well, and also remember that during a 51% attack, as I understand this, now if there's somebody out there that knows a little bit more about this than I do, because we've seen these things happen on smaller networks. Uh, Bitcoin SV, for instance, was attacked a couple of years ago, if I recall correctly, before we got raided. I remember they were uh, they were attacked. And basically what happens when a uh, 51% attack is going on is the word gets out. Hey, Bitcoin network's under attack. You know, don't transact. Because if you transact, if you try to say, if I were to try to send you, which we can't do, uh, Aria, because we're Obviously. on bail conditions. But if we weren't on bail conditions and we were allowed to use cryptocurrency, let's say we were trying to use, uh, you know, Litecoin or something like that. It's something that's more attackable. Uh, Bitcoin Cash, for instance, says here Bitcoin Cash would cost about $3,300 an hour to run a 51% attack. Word gets out that says, hey, there's an attack going on. Don't use it. If during that time frame I were to try to send you Bitcoin Cash, then the attackers could effectively redirect those coins to their own wallet. We got a gentleman on the line here. You're on uh, Free Talk Live. What's your name? Hey, it's Reverend Ratspeed. Hey, Ratspeed. What's on your mind? Well, I just wanted to mention uh, the Byzantine generous problem. I, do, I wanted to clarify something, and then I wanted to propose something for you to, to discuss. The Byzantine generals problem only handles an attack up to 51%. So Bitcoin actually does uh, address it. If you have an attack that's over 51%, it's no longer a Byzantine generals problem. That's simply a, a, a takeover of basically the majority. Hmm. So That's a fair point. Yeah, I'll so, accept that. And the other thing, too, is I think we're kind of worried about the things that we shouldn't be worried about. Um, I think the Byzantine generals problem has been completely, uh, the network itself has been completely overtaken as of 2018 because of the whole SegWit thing. I thought it was very peculiar that back in the day when that quote-unquote soft fork was happening and then all of a sudden the new Bitcoin retains the old name of Bitcoin when, in fact, that was the soft fork. Are you going to have to – I, even I'm a little bit lost here. Are you referring oh, to okay. when uh, Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin had their schism back in 2017? Uh, correct. Bitcoin Cash is Bitcoin. It's not a fork. That's what people were led to believe well. through the propaganda by because once you change the code and inject something else that was not in the previous code, that well, let's be fair. I mean, Bitcoin work. Cash has changed the code many times since it, uh, and it had changed correct. before. Though I mean, there there were many hard forks in Bitcoin's history prior to the one in 2018. Uh, correct, but all of the forks, in other words, whatever the majority was, was retain retains the name Bitcoin. Right, I which ha- which was still the case after 2018 when the majority still retained the name of Bitcoin. It just was separate. So what my proposal is, is that once that happened, once SegWit and other extra, extra stuff was put into the code, 
The Byzantine general's problem is null and void outside of that network, just the same way that a virtual machine can be manipulated like a, a marionette by the strings of the host computer. In other words, you basically had a fish eat up another fish. You had, the, and what was the big fish that ate the smaller fish? It was the banking system. Mm -hmm. I think that you're talking about moment, how Bitcoin was sort of taken over quietly from the inside by uh, big bankers who essentially paid the paychecks because the programmers of Bitcoin never got paid by anybody up until and, like 2016. And, and then and they start, remember, good. Yeah, if you remember, the people that were on the side of the soft fork into SegWit were the miners who stood to lose everything that they had invested in by getting all those really expensive, hardcore GPU units, ASIC units. Because once, if the scaling of the blockchain had progressed as Satoshi originally intended, which is what Bitcoin Cash stayed with, all they did was they, they started splitting it the way that it was supposed to, then they would have lost their profits. They didn't want to lose their profits. Therefore, the people that who, were, who stood the most to lose Put, them, put, put together a propaganda campaign to overtake the coin and make it what they wanted it to be. I am not a maximalist of any coin. I am someone who believes that as long as the coin works for the purposes of what it's supposed to do and it does it affordably, then I like it. Right, So I like that Bitcoin Cash works cheap. I like that Dash works uh, cheap. Monero, I like that it's private. Uh, and Bitcoin SV also works cheap from, from what I understand. Uh, the problem, of course, is that Bitcoin SV was headed up. Is The Bitcoin SV problem is a personal problem. The Bitcoin SV problem isn't so much a technological issue. It's the guy that is its biggest proponent is a what appears to be a total scumbag. Yeah, he's a complete hack. Yeah, and he sues everybody who says something about him, so I'm surprised we haven't gotten hit uh, with a lawsuit yet, but we're probably just not large enough as far as uh, influence. Our friend Roger Veer, of course, has been sued multiple times uh, by the gentleman's name is Craig Wright, and he loses time after time after time after bringing these uh, fallacious, uh, frivolous cases against people just for saying things that he doesn't like. And so the fact that they've got this guy sort of at the helm as their spokesman or whatever is what really has sunk uh, Bitcoin SV as a viable competitor to Bitcoin. But the truth is, Bitcoin SV, if you want to go with what's the most like the original Bitcoin, it's Bitcoin SV. There's no doubt about it. It is. As far as the Bitcoin, the quote unquote Bitcoin brothers or the Bitcoin options that are out there, well, because Bitcoin Cash well, has had upgrades. So what Ratspeed was saying was that at the moment in time that Bitcoin Cash became Bitcoin Cash, that it was had a better claim to his mind That's true. Uh, than Bitcoin did to the name Bitcoin, a BTC. Bitcoin Absolutely BTC true. Did. Yep, I totally and agree with that. I don't know. We didn't get a chance to talk to him, and I don't think it really particularly matters. It's uh, much more of a how many angels and heads of pins and all this good so sort of thing. Um, you know, which which one is most like Bitcoin? You know, I don't know that that matters. I think that what matters is is what people want and what people like. And I I, I wonder about the marketing tool of saying 
for instance, ladies and gentlemen, the 2023 Model T Ford, right? Like, <laughs> who cares? Yeah. I mean, you know, like, um, you could even, you can't even roll out a Model T Ford right now in America. There's mm-hmm. so many of the cafe standards and all these sorts of things. You'd be, you'd be thrown in under the prison just for trying to sell a Model T Ford, um, as a new car. Well, and of course, I'm being accused in the chat room of simping for Bitcoin SV, and nothing could be further from the truth. I am not a fan of Bitcoin SV. I think it's just an absolute uh, dumpster fire of a uh, of a cryptocurrency. I was just simply saying from the perspective of somebody that wants the one that's quote unquote true to the original Bitcoin, that's the one that is closest. But you, Mark, you make a great point. It's like, why is that valuable to people? What is, Bitcoin's once every 10 minute block. I mean, every other cryptocurrency that has come out since then has been faster than that as far as its ability to is confirm transactions. Is it like coin every five? Uh, 2.5. Okay. Yeah, they did a... If, I mean, there's benefits. If anybody wants to know which one um, makes my heart flutter just a little bit, the one that I'm truly in love with, the answer is Monero. I did talk to a Blockstream guy at one of the conventions. I mm-hmm. think it might – I can't remember which one it was, but I'm sure you were at it too, Ian. But we um, – somehow or another, I got sat at a table with him. And I tried to get an explanation out of him on the small blocker uh, argument. Couldn't get one that made sense. Um, I mean, so far, I have yet to hear a small blocker make a, an argument that I can understand as to why uh, you know they, they want what they want. But I'd also like to point out that there's sin on the other side, too. There's uh, sin on the big blocker side, which is to say that Bitcoin Foundation existed before Blockstream. They attempted to pay these uh, developers something, but nobody could kind of come up with who should pay them and nobody wanted to donate to do it. Mm -hmm. And the donation model didn't work in kind of the way it doesn't work with free talk live, right? Like, um, you know, the, when, when Blockstream came in and said, Hey, don't worry, we'll pay them. We, the banks, maybe the CIA, we're not entirely sure who it is, but we'll pay them. Don't worry. That's it. And that's not the banks or the CIA's fault. That's the people who refuse to pony up the money initially. That's their fault. Well, I'm not going to blame people who didn't want to pay for something that they already were getting for free. I can understand why that uh, why that is. You know, I'm sure their perspective was, well, Bitcoin works. If you live in a fantasy land where things are free, Ian, you're going to pay the consequences. If you're not paying. You're the product. Well, the fact is, these uh, programmers should have had some principles, you know, instead of letting themselves be owned by some bankers for 50000 a year or well, whatever the Well, their principle was, was to make money, right? What's more libertarian than that? But that wasn't the principle of Bitcoin. The principle of Bitcoin right. was to undermine the financial system and give the power of money back to the indiv- or to the individual for the first time ever. But the miners were interested. We, we in still it. aren't certain who Blockstream is. It's just conspiracy theory who Blockstream is. No, it's so, not. They come it, right out on their website and tell you who their investors are. Did they say that back in 2018 or whenever? I'm pretty sure they did. Yeah, because they had to do public funding rounds. Well, I I couldn't tell you, but what I can I can tell you, you, AXA Bank, uh, Digital Currency Group, which is made up by uh, Mastercard among others. So those are two of the big ones. Yeah, the FTC. As far as I'm concerned, if you think that things are going to go along for free, you are uh, living in a fantasy world. And if you live in a fantasy world, expect reality to come smack you in the face on the regular. Well, nothing was free in in here. It was darn close to free. Well, no, because. 
the, the devs pre- thought it was free because they the, weren't getting paid, Aria. You paid the price. Well, developing something like this is it's always going to be a labor of love, right? No one there there's no organization to pay the Bitcoin developers for paying. It. Well, yeah, that's what he's that's what he's now bemoaning. He's bemoaning the fact that somebody tried to raise money for them apparently and they didn't get enough. Free Talk Live exists in part because in total because you and I chose to work on it for free for a number of years. And yep. right now I'd say, hey, who, what am I getting paid for tonight? And the answer is nothing because I'm here working on a, a labor of love for free. Well, right. Activism t- tends to not be very uh, financially rewarding. And that's just the reality of it. I get what you're saying. You're bemoaning the fact that not enough people ponied up to to essentially pay these developers. And so they were easily able to be snatched up by the banks. I'm not but- just bemoaning that. I'm bemoaning that humans continue to do such a thing. Like expect, like they they keep on expecting things to just exist for free. Look at look at the newspapers um, online dying because and Good. journalism is dying because people won't pay for what they want to consume in the form of news. Why would well, because we live in a world where we don't have to pay for this stuff anymore? Why would someone yep. want to pay for the New York Times? I don't know it's about garbage. the New York Times, um, but I'm going to tell you that journalism. People still want to consume that. They still want to read mm-hmm. news stories, but they want to read them for free. Well, now and- you can go to, uh, what is it, Substack, and you can subscribe to Edward Snowden, or you can subscribe to Glenn Greenwald, and you can get their news, their opinion, or whatever, directly from them, which you can read for free, but it does hit you with the opportunity to subscribe. I suspect a very small I hope percentage that model of people- works. I don't know if it does. I suspect uh, a small percentage of people will subscribe, just like in the same way a small percentage of our listeners subscribe to the Free Talk Live AMPS program. But the reality is, I mean, there's so much competition out there these days that the people who used to make good money doing journalism, they're going to have to work a lot harder, and they're not going to make as much money. Works or doesn't work is kind of irrelevant at this point. The fact of the matter is that... That's the game that's in town. That that's what you got to. That's the way you can make any money whatsoever. If you want to stay in journalism, yeah. if you want to stay in you know entertainment, yeah. Maybe it's only ten dollars an article versus the five thousand dollars an article you were making two years ago, but it's the only way. I mean, the other the alternative is to run advertise clickbait ads and stuff like that on your website. And that's that's gonna, crap. That's not going to bring you yeah. anything either. Well, the clickbait ads uh, supposedly bring quite a bit of uh, um, revenue, but I don't know the answer. It seems to be drying up as far as I can tell. Then maybe you know I'm not paying that much attention to these things anymore. Um, But what I can say is is that the consumer – I think that the consumer is to blame in part too. Not just the – I mean you know, as a journalist, at some point or another, you're going to get tired – of chasing smaller and smaller, uh, you know, payouts. And you're going to sure. be like, you know what? I can go work someplace else. Go work at McDonald's. I can do something else. Yeah. Well, I, don't, I doubt McDonald's is going to be their choice, Ian. At least until you um, get replaced by an automation system. They now have McDonald's. There's a test market in, I think, Fort Worth, Texas, where they've rolled out completely automated drive through technology. Let's go to Phil in California. Phil, you're on Free Talk Live. Go ahead. Okay, first of all, I want to say I'm not that weirdo who called up yesterday, um, but I did want to talk about uh, uh, Elon Musk. I don't know what to think of this, but he's putting out all these tweets. He's got a Venn diagram with, like, 1984, Brave New World, Paradise 451. And then his one tweet that caught my eye here 
was it says U.S. government agency demanded suspension of 250,000 accounts, including journalists and Canadian officials. Wow. So I just want, um, if he's, he's putting out all this stuff, I mean, where, where is he coming from? Like, I, I don't know what to think of this guy. Well, what do you, what do you guys well, we've been covering a lot of it here. I, I did see he released something fresh today, and I didn't take the time to look at that this particular one. It just seemed more sort of in the same theme of the old Twitter would do whatever the government asked without a warrant. The Twitter would, uh, the feds would just send emails to Twitter and say, "Ban these accounts, uh, X Y Z, do this, jump through these hoops," and Twitter would say, "How high?" and then they would you know jump through the hoops. Uh, and and so it's been example after example after it's been exhaustive in the last few months. I f- I figured the Twitter files was was going to be like you know a few and done, yes. and it just keeps on coming. So I mean I think he's doing the world a real favor of showing exactly how hand in hand, how linked together at the at the hips and the elbows and the and the heads that the federal government and this social media company, and you know it's true in Facebook too, uh, how truly linked they are. He has stopped just short of saying, hey guys, you've been wondering how Twitter was managing to stay afloat while operating at a loss and not making any money? Well, here's the government. They did say they were getting payments, like millions of dollars in payments. That was one of them. That was one of them. It's basically exactly what happened to Bitcoin, what we just discussed in uh, the the last segment, the segment before last, where essentially people didn't want to uh, pony up the money to support a platform that they used and enjoyed, and then uh, turns out the government came in and took it over. It's always the consumer's fault, to Mark. <laughs> yeah, I'm I, just saying, if you don't pay for something, you know you that don't doesn't guarantee it. you anything. You could have paid Twitter five bucks a month; they had a payment system. It could have been a bunch of money rolling to Twitter, and then the government comes in with five million dollars more, and they're like, "Sure, we'll take that too." And or some spoiled white billionaire comes in with forty billion, sell out all of their uh, their users. They have no loyalty to them they're going to do what they're going to do anyway phil what do you think well i mean the the big thing is like i mean it kind of gives credence to you know the whole conspiracy theory how facebook started off as a government operation yeah what is it life lock or whatever and uh it all i mean it, it gives more credence to it uh makes makes me wonder because i used to i don't know i used to laugh that kind of stuff because if you remember when facebook started it used to be just for high school and college kids I don't yeah. know. Yeah, but we grew up. When- <laughs> now, I mean, seriously. And well, now yeah. high school and college kids won't go anywhere near it. It's it, true. it was for yeah, people who were age 18 to 25, and now those people are age 30 to 40. Yeah, and, and I mean, young people don't use it. They're on the TikTok. I mean, TikTok's probably just, I mean, the algorithm, like all this stuff that all the conservatives talk about. It's it's legitimate. Um, I, I, do, I do enjoy some conservative talk radio, even though it's just not my... It's not my range, but I I like like Matt Walsh or whatever. Let's go to Crichton on the line in Kentucky. Crichton, you're on Free Talk Live. Hi. Um, actually wanted to call in tonight uh, because uh, Bonnie mentioned the other day when she was talking about homeschooling. <clears throat> um, and uh, I and my wife, mostly my wife, homeschooled five. Okay. And wow. And I and I can say with certainty. That it's a mixed bag. Um, <clears throat> there is, as part of the problem that my wife has been going through lately, is because the three youngest of our children were adopted war- former wards of the state, and in the state of Kentucky, on paper and in the state constitution, 
the right of the parent to educate their children as you see fit is guaranteed. Okay. But in practice, if I could get them to admit in court that that was that homeschooling a former ward of the state is the root of the problem, I would win immediately. The but root of what problem? My wife told you my wife facing what well, was facing charges, and now we're still dealing with the the, uh, the state. Uh, I, I did not remember that. Yeah, I'm not sure what what were the charges about. I can't tell you what the charges were. Oh. Okay, but, but they were BS. They mm. were nonsense. And if I could get them to admit in court, it's about the fact that the state does not like homeschooling. Mm-hmm. I would win immediately. Mm. But they are not. They're not dumb enough to admit it in court. Sure. And. That is my wife's biggest problem with the idea of moving to New Hampshire, is that, yes, all the things that look good, all the, all the laws look good, but w- what is the secret policy of state child protective services? That That's is the problem. got to be better than what's going on in Kentucky. You mean what is their policy in regards to homeschoolers? Yeah, what is the, the real policy? What really happened? When you go up against the state, when you get sideways with the with state. Uh, well, I think the better question is, will homeschooling your kids be enough to get you sideways with the state? In New Hampshire, that answer seems to be no. I mean, there's a huge homeschooling movement here in New Hampshire that whenever uh, there's any kind of bill in the state house that threatens homeschool rights, if you will, in any way, shape or form, basically the homeschoolers make a field day. Uh, or field trip out of that, and they all come out. They bring all their kids to uh, the state house, and they all pile into whatever the hearing is on this particular bill, and they just overwhelm that particular committee with uh, you know their numbers and their influence, and, that, and it never goes that anywhere. That has happened here for the past twenty years too. Yeah, the, yep. the uh, and, Homeschool Legal Crichton, Defense Association. I'm sorry. I, I'm curious, Crichton. What happens if, um, like, you know, so it's wards of the state. I wonder what happens if you just pick up and move from one from the state that they were formerly wards of to another state. Does I would think the new state probably doesn't feel the sort of level of ownership that the previous one did. And that would have been wonderful if I could have done that before this went down. Yeah. And um, one's cur- and then I would be curious what would happen to their case if you just happened to move out of the state. Um, they didn't take the kids away from you, right? Yes, they did. Mm, God. Very sorry so to sorry. hear that. Did they take all so of your sorry. kids or just the former wards? Just the former the, wards? The, the, the natural born kids are all adults. Okay. Joe in Maryland, you're on Free Talk Live. Go ahead, Joe. Hey, how's everybody doing? Hope you're doing well. What's on your mind tonight? Go ahead. Okay. Uh, the guy you were trying to think of earlier was Paul LaBelle, the uh, criminal who got caught in Brazil. Oh, the uh, uh, the supposed, uh, alleged Satoshi possible Yachimura. Satoshi. What was his name? Paul what? Paul LaBelle. LaBelle. Okay. I think, yeah, I think that's real. the guy. Yeah, it is the guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he was a real strange dude because... I saw a documentary on him and stuff like that. He's got the only code that, other than Toshi's, that's never been cracked. He still haven't cracked his computer. Hmm. 
Yeah, I don't and, know a whole lot uh, about him. I remember reading something about the allegations behind why he could be Satoshi, and I remember it being pretty persuasive. I just don't remember any of the details. It was, uh, certainly wasn't. I, yeah, I think a, I was on the same. He's a brilliant mathematician. Mm. Yeah. I wasn't persuaded to the point where I'm like, yes, this guy is Satoshi. I'm like, huh? if I had to place a bet on someone being Satoshi, that's who I would place my bet on. Well, one thing's for sure. If Satoshi yep. is not dead, and there's a good chance that he or she has passed away at this point, but if Satoshi is not dead, they would be a fool to reveal themselves at some point in the future because all of the weight They'd of the government. Yeah, I mean, all of the weight yeah. of the state, the governments of the world that hate Bitcoin would come right down on that person's head. Exactly. Well, that was sort of proved with uh, Craig Wright. I mean, once that once he said, I'm Satoshi, then the Australian government just went after him and went after him and went after him. Yeah, they did. Well, isn't Craig Wright Australian, though, and a liar? Well, yeah, but they still went after him. For what? Because he said he was Satoshi. Satoshi. So I mean, they, they were like, oh, it's him. For what did they go after him for? I mean, did they. Taxes. Taxes. Immediately they went after well, him. Well, that's that's Craig Wright's fault for being an idiot, I, I would suggest. <laughs> right. And, you know, if, if Satoshi Nakamoto revealed himself, and, you know, the, the Australian government or whatever government said, all right, fine, but you owe us 35% in taxes. Fine, if you'll accept it in Bitcoin. <laughs> All I'm saying is is that if you claim to be Satoshi Nakamoto, reveal yourself uh, to be Satoshi Nakamoto, allow yourself to be re- revealed as Satoshi Nakamoto, spect problems. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. Joe, anything else you want to share? Uh, yeah. Also, you were talking about the uh, Byzantine generals and the lieutenants. Everybody had to uh, you know, be in coordination with each other and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Uh, you know, in World War II, in France, when they had the Maginot Line, Hitler could have been stopped. This one general, I can't remember their names, but this one general uh, asked for reinforcements when Hitler was invading. And he had 140,000 troops that he could have uh, reinforced the other general with and, you know, uh, stop, you know, hold off Hitler and stuff, stop him even. And because he didn't like him, he didn't send the troops to help him. He didn't like the other general, you're saying? Y- yep. Mm. That's a historical fact and everything like that. I kind of thought that was, I thought that guy should have been shot for treason. It all comes down to someone being petty, doesn't yeah. it? Thank you. Was he pers- French or Belgian? French. Okay. But I thought, I thought the Nazis went around the Maginot Line uh, through Belgium um, in order to well, take. What ha- they, they went through Belgium, but they still faced the Maginot Line. They had to get. Uh, on, they had to break through the line before they hit the river, or it would have ended up in trench warfare again, like World War One. Mark was, uh, I think, rightfully complaining about the state of journalism these days. It's, it's pretty bad. Like you, you pretty much you tune into a quote-unquote news channel, and you know you're going to get an opinion piece yeah. uh, these days. And certainly, when you tune into RT, you know you're going to get the Russian perspective generally on things. But to be fair to them. At least they do cover both sides of the issue in their reporting and, from what I've seen. And that may not be entirely true all the time. Like um, Adam not. Kokesh used to have a show on RT, and he was never told by his own admission or his own reporting. He was never told what to say or what not to say That's or what he could and could not talk about. Holland Kirk also had a show on RT America just before they shut down operations because they couldn't pay their bills due to the sanctions anymore. But he's give pro- us a show. But he's pro-Ukraine. And they, you know, they ha- he was on the air yeah. on RT. 
Oh, that's so, right. He leans left, doesn't he? He does. Yeah. Um, so they never told him what to say. The only reason he can't keep doing his show is because they shut the whole channel down. And that had nothing to do with him. and had everything to do with the sanctions on the Russian government. They literally could not send the money to their American bank that was operating RT America. So that's why they, they had well, to shut that Well, thank God the Cold War ended in the 80s and it did not persist into 2023. So what we're talking about here tonight is the uh, what they call the National Council of Television and Radio Broadcasting is now... There's a bill that has now been signed by Vladimir Zelensky that is going to increase their power, not just over broadcasting, but over the Internet, any print media as well. So any newspapers that are left in Ukraine, they're now going to be regulated by this, the equivalent of their FCC. Any Internet sites that are based out of Ukraine are going to have to get a license from the government in order to exist, in order to not have armed thugs kick in their door, and throw them into a prison cell. Can you imagine having to petition the government for a license in order for you out there listening to have a blog? That's what we're talking about. And if you don't, Vladimir Zelensky is going to send in the jackbooted thugs to drag you out of the house. Well, how, in all how, likelihood, he they won't bother people that they di- that that are innocuous, but they will use this to go after people who have opinions that they don't like. Well, good point. Yeah, they. But then again, the people that love his government would happily line up for a license, most assuredly. But I get it's got to be kind of hard to get a license right now with uh, some level of war going on in Ukraine. But how do you know what level of war? I mean, that's the other thing. We have no idea what's actually going on over there. I mean, well, this... I can tell you that, uh, you know, I up heretofore I have chosen to listen to mainstream media as to, um, you know, what wars are happening and where they are. And well, what's that's a mistake. I mean, they, yeah. they absolutely have an incentive to blow up this conflict and make it seem uh, larger than life. But the reality I is... would agree with that, Ian. But um, which wars would you say here um, up to this point are fake? I'm not saying it's fake. I'm just saying we okay. don't know the extent of it. I do know that this Zelensky character has been parading all over the place, including just showing up, I believe, in Washington, D.C. recently. Uh, they've had uh, stars like Bono or whoever going over to uh, Sean Penn, uh, going over to Ukraine, entering into a supposed war zone so they can have photo ops done with Zelensky. I mean, you tell me that that's the most dangerous place to be in the world. I don't I just don't buy it. I know people who've traveled there, so it can't be terribly dangerous. Right. That's what I'm saying. I think this thing is way blown out of proportion to compared to what's actually going on. And then they get this Zelensky guy in D.C. and they're unfurling the Ukrainian flag in Congress now, apparently, and rallying around the Ukrainian flag. Meanwhile, Zelensky. I wonder when the last time a foreign nation's flag was flown in the U.S. Capitol. In fact, I pulled up the index of uh, Reporters Without Borders. They do the index of uh, press freedom, which we actually haven't talked about in some time. Normally, we talk about the index of economic freedom and such uh, here on Free Talk Live. But this is an, also, an a very interesting index as well. The United States, by the way, at number 42 on the list of most press freedom on the planet. What causes America to lose points? I, I guess the conglomerate... I mean, look at what they're doing. Look at what they're doing to Julian Assange, for instance. Right? Good Uh, points. It's not freedom of speech in the United States. Not freedom to uh, to report. But uh, number, let's see, Ukraine. Pulling up here on the map. 
They've got a text list as well. But uh, you and that would be before this before, particular act correct. has gone into effect. Yeah, because they always look at like the previous year or whatever. So for the 2022 Reporters Without Borders study, it'll probably be looking at 2020, 2021, somewhere in that okay. range. Um, so right now, before this new law goes into effect, Ukraine is number 106 of all of the 180 countries. So it's not in the not even in the top hundred most free. Russia at oh, number one. Russia. Russia's yeah. at number 155, so even less free than yeah. Ukraine. Are there any countries around Ukraine's ranking that I would recognize one way or the other? Uh, well, there's right next door uh, Belarus not doing so hot at 153. I mean, someone about whose government I may know a little bit. How about Honduras? Okay. I don't uh, know much about the Honduran government, but I, uh, I, th- I seem to think someone on the show does. Yeah, Mark, uh, guess where Honduras is if you haven't already pulled up the list. I haven't pulled up the list. You want to take a guess? Um, I, I can't imagine it's terribly high. I mean, there are communists in charge. <laughs> After uh, Remember, there's 180 potential uh, spots on this list. Um, I don't know. Above 100, below 50. Uh, well, above 100, I guess. Okay, I see what you mean. No, I it's, don't know it's, what he means. What the hell does he, he mean? He means lower than 100, meaning higher ranked, quote From unquote. From 50 to 100. Yeah, no, it's 165. Okay. Yeah, one of the worst countries on the planet, only beaten out by countries like Iraq, Cuba, Vietnam, Turkmenistan, Iran, uh, Eritrea. That's really bad. Yeah, it's uh, Honduras is actually the worst, excluded Cuba. Honduras is the worst as far as press freedom in the entirety of North and South and Central America. Yeah, I wouldn't doubt it. And then I, you know, I wouldn't recommend to anyone who moves to a foreign country for more freedom than they get in the United States, simply because the uh, the reach of government in most countries isn't that of the U.S. government. I wouldn't recommend um, goading the tiger, as it were. I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't say anything about that country in the same way that you know, like I wouldn't go to Thailand and say the king is a bad man. We got a caller on the line here. You're on the air. What's your name? This is Hatting in Florida. If you want to understand why uh, why people are supporting, some people are supporting the, the war in Ukraine against Russia, uh, I, I would uh, ask you to look at the overall pattern of U.S. wars. All right. Uh, we had this uh, war against Iraq. All right, and uh, we had a series of wars against uh, Muslim states, uh, you know, Libya, and then they were going to do Syria. Some of the others along the way I could explain, but it's more complicated. These are all Zionist wars. These are all wars against enemies of the state of Israel. Okay. And uh, what happened with Russia is in 2013, Vladimir Putin put himself in the way and uh, made some statements that discouraged the Europe, uh, NATO from going to war against Syria and destroying that country, doing what they had done in Libya. And at that point, Russia became a target. A lot of things happened in short order after that. All right, There were attempts to pry Russia's allies away from her, like the deal with Iran, the nuclear deal, and uh, diplomatic recognition for Cuba, and uh, the XL pipeline was uh, expedited to try to uh, undermine uh, Russia's 
fuel exports to Europe. Correct me if I'm wrong, right. though. American antagonism towards Russia dates well before 2013, right? Uh, not on that level. All right. There were a series of actions. Seems like it was a lot higher before 2013. I mean, it I seems mean, like the United States war. was in a cold war with decades for decades with Russia, um, or its predecessor, the Soviet Union. I'm just curious how the Jews matter. got Russia to invade Ukraine. The situation there is, as you know, the, the elected government of Ukraine was overthrown in 2014 mm -hmm. after uh, the president Yanukovych uh, turned down an offer that you can't refuse, which was to join NATO. All right? He decided not to do it, and then he got overthrown. And uh, Victoria Newland, a <clears throat> Jewish neoconservative, was right in the middle of all that. All right. And uh, so a government of the Ukraine that was actually rather ambivalent about Russia, but went along with them for practical reasons, was replaced by an actively anti-Russian government. Mm. All right. And the goal of this, of overturning the, pro the somewhat friendly to Russia government, was to deprive Russia of access to the Black Sea, a warm water port, deprive them of that so that the Russian naval base in Syria would become meaningless, basically getting the Russians out of that region. That was the point of the war, all right? And on top of that, you had the threat of putting missiles into Ukraine that could reach Moscow in five minutes. This was a dire threat, a dire military threat to Russia. And I don't know why um, other countries have Russia's that I mean missiles that could hit Russia from thousands upon thousands of miles away. Americans are apparently largely pessimistic about the prospects for the United States in 2023. Are Americans becoming realistic? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. No, I I disagree with this assertion. So, um, in order to be number one. You simply have to be faster than number two. And I got to find out who number two is at this point because it should be apparent, right? Like if you're losing a race, you should be able to turn around and what, look. What and are you see saying? Hold on. What are you saying the United States is number one in? Um, well, it's certainly the world's largest Prison economy. Prison that's that too <laughs> unless you consider um, everybody in North Korea to actually be in a prison. I would not. Okay. I mean, there's a strong argument that North Korea is essentially a prison colony. <laughs> you can't get out. Like, there's literally barbed wire I, keeping you in. I can't get in. out of the United States either. Yeah, well, that's true. Sure you can. Well, you no, can. No, she cannot. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, it's all a matter of perspective, I, I would argue. But there are literally people in American... Millions of people in American prisons for That's victimless true. crimes. And we, it, the United States has the largest prison population in the world do you but, think that a nation is um, necessarily doomed to uh, because of a large prison population because i don't probably I mean, i'm not actually, saying it's good yeah. i don't i think that probably does speak to some sort of institutional overgrowth and spiritual rot within that nation i think what it speaks to is just more make work programs and a particularly um, harsh pioneer spirit slavery suggests a dying empire to me 
Uh, slavery is uh, all over the world, and all the empires that rose and all the empires that fell um, had slavery heretofore. Slavery yeah. was commonplace and not even argued with up until um, basically the beginning of the 19th century. Then, uh, you know, people's morals kicked in and no, they, you know, they stopped. Slavery at persists it. today. They just called it something else. As you said, now these, it's taxes. These make work programs, I mean, it's widespread slavery. Well, uh, no, um, so from uh, – Ian just called slavery taxes. I would disagree with that notion. Um, however well, – what percentage of your wealth has to be taken from you for the benefit of someone else before it counts as slavery? It, it can be any percentage as long as you agree to it. But you – As long as you agree to it. You agree to be to the taxes of the United States by remaining it's ridiculous in the same way statement. that you agree to a, pay your bill when you go into a restaurant. That is a, a ridiculous take. Yeah, no, it's not. I, I it's can choose to go clear. to a different restaurant. I never in my life. Indeed, was you can go to a different country. No, well, not she you. can't. And, and, and I, I, I got I, it. And either Look, before Aria the, on, is no, under I, bail conditions. I, and I'm even sorry. before the bail conditions. Okay. The average person cannot just go, oh, I'm done with the United States. I'm going to pack up and carry on my life in the Honduras. <laughs> that That's so beyond the – and I realize that you've been you know, millionaire, Mark, for so Americans. long you don't understand this anymore. But this is well beyond the means of your average fast food worker. Well, I, I don't think the, fa- the average fast food worker is the average American. Um, I, think I think you would find are they are. Things. I don't. I, well, I would disagree. What do you think the average numbers. American makes? Um, I don't have that in front of me, but I would say that uh, median incomes in the United States is somewhere around 70000 for a Good household. Good Lord, that's way off. You just heard highlights from the latest episode of Free Talk Live. You can download full episodes, subscribe to our podcast, listen live and more, all for free at freetalklive.com.